the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. When that generation living in the tribulation period sees these signs, false Christ, earthquakes, calamities, the abomination of desolation, all these things, when you see these things begin to happen, they'll know that my coming is near. It is right around the corner. In fact, he uses the expression, it's right at the door, which means he's knocking and ready to come in. He's close, right around the corner. Christ's point is this, and grasp this. Just as a fig tree with tender branches and new leaves indicates that summer is near, so the occurring signs during the tribulation period will indicate that Christ's coming is near. It is just around the corner. Now, that's not hard. That's not difficult to grasp. And the whole point of this parable is to teach that once these signs begin to take place, His coming is very, very soon. list of signs during the tribulation period. And we have so much more to cover on today's verse-by-verse program with Pastor Steve Kreloff. He's the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You know, another interesting topic on today's program will be the fig tree, as well as, quote-unquote, this generation. If you don't know what this generation means, that's okay. It has been misunderstood, as has the sign of the fig tree. Pastor Steve is going to give us a biblical explanation of those two topics. When we get to the end of the next two sessions, I think you'll find that Pastor Steve has used the Bible and has given us a proper understanding of these and other topics. So let's get into today's program. Even so, you too... When you see these things, what things happening, recognize that he's near right at the door. What are these things happening? They're the signs he's just spelled out for them. Recognize that when you see, when the Christians living during the tribulation period, when they see the signs that I've just articulated to you, they can know that the time of my coming is near. The signs are like the, uh, the new leaves emerging from a fig tree. That's what he's saying. When you see emerging leaves from a fig tree, uh, tender branches, emerging leaves, you know that summer's near. When that generation living in the tribulation period sees these signs, false Christs, earthquakes, calamities, the abomination of desolation, all these things, when you see these things begin to happen, they'll know that my coming is near. It is right around the corner. In fact, he uses the expression, it's right at the door, which means he's knocking and ready to come in. He's close, right around the corner. Christ's point is this, and grasp this. 
Just as a fig tree with tender branches and new leaves indicates that summer is near, so the occurring signs during the tribulation period will indicate that Christ's coming is near. It is just around the corner. Now that's not hard. That's not difficult to grasp. And the whole point of this parable is to teach that once these signs begin to take place, his coming is very, very soon. Very soon. And to emphasize how near his coming really is, Jesus makes a tremendous statement in verse 30. One that has confused people, but it doesn't need to if you take it in context. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until the, all these things take place. Now, what generation is he referring to? He certainly could not be referring to the generation that stood before him of the apostles. They all died about 2,000 years ago. That generation passed away a long time ago. What generation is he referring to? He's speaking about the generation which will be living during the seven-year period of the tribulation. You say, but wait a minute, that can't be, because that generation will die. People will die. He didn't say that people won't die. He just said the generation as a whole won't die. There'll be individuals in that generation that'll die, but not everybody will die. There'll be lots of people who will be die, who will die. He's just saying that that generation, that, that society at that time, that group of people called the generation, that group of people will not all die before he returns. Why? Because once they see those signs, his coming is just very close. Very close. That's what he's talking about. The generation that sees these signs won't die out until everything he said about the signs and his return takes place. Individuals may die, but the generation will live. There won't be time for them to all die out. A generation doesn't die out in seven years. His coming is so soon after the signs that the generation living won't have time to pass away. That's his point. Because that generation won't have a long time to wait for Christ's coming. Just a few years. I really believe that Christ's point is so simple, so uncomplicated, so straightforward, that anybody should be able to understand it. But it, it, is, it is very, very sad that this has been misinterpreted by many. Misinterpreted by many. And the reason it's been so misinterpreted is because some people read more into Christ's statement about the fig tree than I believe Jesus ever intended. They contend that the fig tree represents the nation of Israel. They say the fig tree is symbolic of the nation of Israel, and the new leaves on the fig tree indicates that Israel will become a new nation. And so they say Israel did become a new nation in 1948, the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. And therefore, the generation that, that saw this rebirth won't die out until Christ's return. So we, we must be that generation, they say. Because a generation is about uh, 40 years, or generation, and uh, 1948 and 40 years, about 1988. Sound familiar? 1988. And so, uh, give or take a few years there, we're the generation. And that's their interpretation of this. Now, uh, how do we answer it? We want to answer this from the scriptures. That's, that's the final authority, the scriptures. How do we answer the view that this uh, fig tree represents the rebirth of Israel in 1948? It's really not that difficult to, to answer. Uh, first of all, I want to be honest with the, with the scriptures and, and, and have integrity. Sometimes Bible writers, especially Old Testament prophets, did use the fig tree to symbolize Israel. There's no question about that. Sometimes they did that. Isaiah did that. Jeremiah did that. I believe Hosea did that. that that's not very difficult to, uh, to substantiate. That's, that's true. Even Jesus did this. Remember Mark chapter 11 where he cursed the fig tree? 
He cursed the fig tree that pretended it deceived him. It looked like it had new figs on it. And he was hungry. We, we studied this. When he got closer to it, he saw that it, it was really barren. It just had a lot of leaves but no figs. And when Jesus cursed that fig tree, he made it very clear that in context what he was doing was denouncing Israel for pretending to be in love with the Lord and to bear fruit and to uh, have a relationship with the God of, of Israel. And yet they were empty. They were barren. They were lifeless. They just pretended. And so even in that context, Jesus made it clear that the fig tree represented Israel. So we want to we state that up front. That sometimes is the case. But not here. Not in Mark chapter 13. I know that he, that he can't mean that. You say, boy, you're pretty dogmatic on that. How do you know it? I want you to turn to Luke chapter 21. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all dealing with the same uh, Olivet Discourse. One will emphasize something that the other doesn't. They never contradict. They never conflict. But sometimes one will bring out something that the other did not bring out for his own unique purpose in writing. In Luke chapter 21, verse 29, this ought to answer exactly what Jesus meant. This is the same, by the way, this is the same parallel concept, same parallel passage of Mark 13. Verse 29, he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and what? And all the trees. That's what he said in his fuller, in his fuller statement. He's not restricting this to a fig tree being symbolic of Israel. He's talking about any tree that, that bears fruit like this. Any tree that bears fruit to indicate that summer is near. He just chose set a fig tree because it was prominent in Israel. Just using the fig tree as representative of all fruit trees. Behold the fig tree and all the fruit trees. That's all. This is not symbolic of Israel. Not only that. But if Jesus had meant the rebirth of Israel, then I want you to know nobody would have understood that until 1948. Nobody. And the purpose of a parable for believers is to reveal truth, not to conceal it. Jesus didn't give parables to his disciples to conceal truth until 1948. He gave parables to help them understand spiritual truth. That's, that's the whole point of a parable when it's given to believers. Also, the context I mean, the context is so clear. The context is not 1948 or any time other than the tribulation period. And the generation is the generation living at the end of the age. You'd have to, you'd have to just throw away the context to come up with anything else. The Olivet Discourse is about a specific period of time, 1948. And besides all this, Jesus didn't come in 1988. Didn't come. And, and not only that, but this is talking about his return. When he comes to establish his kingdom, it has nothing to do with the rapture. The generation, that generation will be able to see signs of Christ's return. But do you know that the church is never told to look for any signs? I, I've said this before. The church is never told to look for any signs. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You ought to mark this down if you don't turn there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for a Savior. We're not waiting for signs. We're looking for a Savior. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It says that the Thessalonians were to wait for His Son. They were waiting for His Son from heaven. They're not waiting for signs. They're not looking for, for signs. They're looking for Him. But Jesus yet spoke about looking for signs. But the church, which will be raptured before the tribulation begins, the church is told to look for him. Speaking, referring to the rapture. Those in the tribulation are told to look for signs first. 
We don't know how, how near the rapture is. We, we don't know, and I'm backtracking now to speak about the rapture. We, we don't know. There are no signs that had to be fulfilled before the, the rapture could take place. Israel did not need to be a nation before the rapture could take place. Nothing had to happen. That's why they were looking back then, 2,000 years ago, for the rapture. Listen, it could take place today before I get to point two of the message. It could also take place 100 years from now. It could take place 1,000 years from now. It could also take place tomorrow. It could take place before I get to my next page of notes, let alone point two. We don't know. But the return of Christ cannot take place, will not take place until the signs happen. And they'll happen in the tribulation. Now, I, I want you to understand that verse 30 is not really intended to be a controversial verse at all. It is a marvelous promise. Verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. It's a marvelous promise because it means that Jesus isn't going to stretch these end time events out indefinitely. Once they happen, he's coming quickly. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says, I come quickly. And a lot of people look at that and they say, quickly, it's been 2,000 years. But what it means is that once the events start to happen, they happen in a quick manner. Not that he said, I'm going to come, you know, tomorrow. The tribulation will start tomorrow. But once, they, once it happens, it'll be with rapid fire execution. I come quickly. It won't be a long time. The generation of people alive at the tribulation time will live to see his glorious return as king to establish his kingdom because his coming follows the tribulation so closely. It's near. It's close. And this is the promise of the nearness of his return once the tribulation starts very, very quickly. And we know that we can count on this promise. We know that we can count on his word, that he's not going to stretch this out indefinitely. And how do we know that? Because verse 31 is a marvelous statement of the trustworthiness of the word of Christ, the words of Christ. Heaven and earth, he said, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isn't that a strong statement? And you can certainly apply it to any, any situation, but it's a marvelous, marvelous statement of the, the trustworthiness of Christ's words. What he said is Christ's words will never fail. They remain true. They remain valid. They are more secure and more stable than the very earth that you walk upon. Do you realize that? The very skies you, you look at or fly in or whatever you do in the skies because the heavens and the earth will cease to exist as we know it. The Bible says that. Revelation 21.1, 2 Peter 3.10, the heavens and the earth uh, will cease to exist as we know it. As there, God will establish a new heavens and a new earth that have never been tainted by sin. But Christ's words will never pass away. Even the very ground that you walk on is going to pass away. The air that you breathe is going to change, pass away. But the word of God, the word of Christ, will not pass away. The trustworthiness of God's promise about the nearness of his return is so, so critical. And it's important for us to reflect on. You know why? Second Peter. Let's look at Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3 says there will be mockers in the last day. And there are people who mock us. People say, those Christians are living in la-la lands. They're waiting for something that will never happen, and uh, it's just ridiculous. They take the Bible so literally. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. So he tells you the motivation. They follow after their own lust. It's not that scholarship rules them. It's that they have some other agenda and hidden ulterior motive. It's because they cannot believe that there's a God who will come in judgment because if they did, they have to alter their behavior 
Or at least they should alter their behavior. But here's what they say. Verse 4, where's the promise of his coming? For from the begin, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things or all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. There, there's no change. Everything's uniform. For when they maintain this, Peter says, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. You realize most people, most scientists do not accept the flood. Peter said that's, that's exactly right. They forget. They just put it away. They, they don't bring into account the flood. Flood changes a lot. And they forget that God did at one time interrupt the normal course of events to judge this world. He's going to do it again. But notice verse 7. He said, But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. That's the new heavens and the new earth. But notice verse, verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. It escapes their notice about the flood. Don't let it escape your notice. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. In other words, God's out of time. God's not in a hurry. God has everything under control. As far as the Lord is concerned, it's like two days since Jesus left. But verse 9, and this is what we need to lay hold of. The Lord is not slow about his promise. He's not slothful. God hasn't promised something and then not brought it about. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some men or some count slowness. But then why hasn't he come yet? He's patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Why hasn't Jesus come yet? Why hasn't the rapture taken place yet? Because God is waiting for his elect to repent and trust him. He said, God, he said, God is patient towards you. Towards who? Towards those who are the elect. And when that last elected person comes finally to Jesus Christ, places his trust and confidence in Christ and his death for him, then Jesus will return in in judgment over the earth. You see, it is his kindness and his patience that keeps him from coming, not slothfulness. So when someone mocks Christ, it may be them that he's waiting for to come to know him. So we've learned one basic truth about the time of of Christ's return. The time of his return is near once the tribulation begins. I don't know how near it is now because we haven't been raptured yet. The tribulation hasn't started, but once it happens, it's near. But Jesus gave another truth about the time of his return. Not only is it near, but it is also not revealed. The precise time, it is unknown. Verse 32. But of that day or hour, meaning precise moments, no one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. While people living during the tribulation period will know once they see the signs that his coming is near, no one living on earth, no one living on earth will know the precise day and hour that he will arrive. That's his point. No one. In other words, tribulation signs will point to the nearness of his coming, but the exact moment has not been revealed. When Jesus said this, only the Father knew. Now, according to this verse, the Father knows. But what about the Son? Why didn't Jesus know? He said that he didn't know. Only the Father knows. He said that he did not know. Isn't Jesus God? Absolutely. Is he fully God? Absolutely. But sometimes, as we emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ, we forget the humanity of Jesus Christ. And as a man, he functioned... In a unique way, while he ministered on earth, while we, what we call the incarnation, 
Jesus, according to Philippians 2, emptied himself, not of deity, but it means he laid aside the privileges of deity. That is to say that he limited himself purposely, he self-limited himself in becoming a man, that he laid aside the use of certain divine attributes. He could use them when the Father said it was all right to use them. But otherwise, he did not use them. And, and this is an example. His omniscience. Omniscience means knowing all. Jesus knows all, but when he became a man, he laid that aside. He did not use that. He was just like any other man. He didn't use those attributes unless the Father said it was all right. Jesus said, I just follow the will of the Father. When the Father directed him, fine. But he voluntarily limited his knowledge to only what the Father revealed to him. And how did the Father reveal things to him? Well, there were times the Father revealed things to him just through Scripture just through scripture, like, like you and I. There were other times that it was revealed to him just as, uh, as he was uh, working through his life and growing up and just the normal process of, of gaining maturity as a man. I know that's hard for us to grasp, being God and man, and you just sort of take it by faith. In fact, that's what Luke 2.52 means when it says, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. As a man, he was just growing up. He learned like you and I learn as we mature in the Lord in terms of knowledge. Sometimes God gave him direct revelation. Sometimes God miraculously just gave him direct revelation. And there were other times that God let him use his divine omniscience. And he did that. Remember Nicodemus came to him at night and Jesus knew exactly what was on his heart and that's why he said Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Remember the Samaritan woman in, in John chapter 4? She said, I have no husband. She said, right, you've had a lot of husbands. How did he know that? Divine omniscience. Uh, not, only, not only that, uh, Nathaniel, one of his disciples, was under a fig tree, and Jesus said, before you saw me, I saw you under the fig tree. And he didn't mean he had x-ray vision. He meant that he had divine omniscience. Since the Father never revealed the specific time of Christ's return, it is not in the Word of God, it is not revealed, then Jesus didn't know it. He did not use his omniscience, even though he's God. He set it aside, and there was no reason for him to know it at that point. Now, the question is, does he know it now? I think, sure. After the resurrection, uh, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. He, he knows everything. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, it's very interesting, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, I think this is the indication that certainly he knows now. Uh, the disciples asked him, verse 7, uh, they, they said, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Are you, are you doing it now? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. He didn't say, it's not for you or me to know. He said, it's just not for you to know. I think, sure, he knows when he's coming back now. But not at that point, not in the incarnation, not in his ministry on earth. Now, there's another question that, that I think we need to address. Jesus said in verse 32 that no one knows the day that Christ will return except the Father. And I ask myself, and I ask you, why won't people living in the tribulation be able to figure out when he will return? If they could know when the tribulation starts, they should be able to know when it finishes, especially because Daniel and, and, and the book of Revelation give, give dates. They give uh, dates in, in terms, I'm not saying a, a date, they give times in terms of months and days. And we know that the tribulation officially begins when the Antichrist sets up a treaty with Israel. Why can't you figure out all the days using a 360-day month, which is a biblical month, and figure out exactly when the tribulation will end? You could. Anyone tuned into the Bible during the tribulation times could figure out when the seven years are over, down to the very day. So how could Jesus say, no one will know the time? 
Good question, isn't it? Okay, let's look at Matthew 24. There's an answer. Matthew 24, 29. Actually, Mark says it too, but Matthew brings out a little more fuller. Matthew 24, verse 29. And I've studied this and I've read this, but it's not until this week that it, that it clicked, made sense. Verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds on the sky with power and great glory and so forth. Listen, you know what the key phrase is? Immediately after the tribulation. Wow. Pastor Steve left us hanging with that key phrase. I'm intrigued. I can't wait to hear what is coming on the next verse-by-verse program. I've enjoyed the teaching from Pastor Steve Kreloff. But you know, it's not just enjoyment for enjoyment's sake. This is God's Word, and it is enjoyable to learn more about God's Word. Also, Pastor Steve has challenged my thinking on some things. However, he is not just giving us his opinion. I've noticed this about Pastor Steve. When he teaches, he is very careful to support everything he says with the Bible. Say, if you're ever in the Clearwater, Florida area on a Sunday, I know Pastor Steve and the others at Lakeside Community Chapel would love to have you join them for worship. You can check out lakesidechapel.com for more information. And then please join us next time for Verse by Verse. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.